This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how can you be prepared for a natural disaster? Dr. Ryan Reynolds, a doctor, not the other Ryan Reynolds, is working on an app to help Canadians work together to stay safe during events like the BC floods. He explains how the app works, how Canada responds to disasters, and what needs to change with Chirp, it's called. Cryptocurrencies are here to stay, but what kinds of crypto coins are there out there? What if there was more crypto coins than languages on Earth? It's true. Greg Fish breaks it down for us and helps us understand how cryptocurrencies can become accessible for everyone. Plus, are you okay with news bloopers? Yes. TV news bloopers are our favorite kind, and it's all coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with bed sheets? I would say necessity, like having them. Clean ones, yeah. I'm definitely okay with clean ones. I've, uh, as I've aged, I've noticed I clean them a lot more because I started to think of them like clothes. You should really mm. clean them like, you know, yes. once a week at the very least. I do yeah. every two weeks. I clean my sheets. Uh, yeah. Mostly the dust. Man. When you're sleeping up above your desk, suspended in air, all the dust <laughs> likes to settle right where my head is. Yeah. Uh, but a good sheet you know where... make a good bed. Oh, it's true. Do you know what dust really is, though? That's like your dead skin, right? Oh. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware. It's not great. It's it's okay. It, but it, it I have oh, noticed I... much more being up high rather than. I up see. Low. I see what you were doing. You were trying to up like low. not not get reminded. Of how gross dust is, right? I yes. get it. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Okay, so I agree. Absolutely. Um, nice sheets, Ryan, does make for a nice bed. And in fact, if you can afford to get like the fancy fancies, like yes. that's just like heaven on your skin. Just whew. like the stuff they have in so, hotels. Hotels? Like yeah. high-end hotels. hotels. Crate Not high-end barrel. hotels. Yes. <laughs> like the five-star Crate and barrel ones. sheets, man. That's what you got to go thousand. 2000 thread stuff like the holy moly well a nice comfy bed you need nice comfy sheets that's right you know you got to do that but after you pick up the mattress from the store or a sketchy kijiji seller okay i'm gonna start again yeah after you pick up your mattress because you really wanted a nice mattress right like a really cool mattress because you got to get that stuff and you go to the store or if you really go to a real sketchy kiji seller (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) Kijiji stupid word. It's a stupid word. You know what Kijiji is? Do you know who built Kijiji? No clue. eBay. eBay wasn't popular in Canada like it was elsewhere. And so that was their strategy was to do a Canadian version of eBay. And that's how um, Kijiji started. It was from the eBay Canada Hmm. office that built Kijiji. So there you go. So getting your mattress home sketchy or not, is all f- often the priority. You can get it delivered or you can do it yourself. Just do it the right way or else this can happen. Brianna Beasley says she's lucky to be alive after a flying mattress shattered her windshield on a North Carolina highway. So it like flipped up and it was spinning, spinning, you know, so you didn't really know where it was going to land, um, but it happened to land right into my windshield. So what's the right way to transport a mattress? Sinclair says it's important to use ratchet straps like these. This is on super tight. This mattress isn't going to go anywhere. I don't care how fast you drive. We hit the track again. Our producer, Charlie McElravey, is behind the wheel. All right, I'm at 60. 
65. Our mattress stays atop, safe and secure. It's holding. It held on. Not done right. These things can fall off and create a tragedy on our roadways. And to go back and quote the uh, earlier message from Ryan, it is a priority to do it safely. That's a typo. But I did watch somebody, very entertainingly, strap a mattress to the top of the car. So they rolled down their windows, they put the mattress on the top of the car, and they used a ratchet strap through the windows around the top of the car, strapped it on. Did it through the back windows of the sedan, too. Two straps for driving down the road, and they did everything right. The box spring on the top, the mattress on the bottom, because otherwise you get the fold back on the mattress, which is always funny. But they did it through the windows of the car and then had to get in the car. But they couldn't order to open the doors because the straps went through the windows of the car. It was the most entertaining thing I've seen in a parking lot. (laughs) Oh, that was so good. Um, Now, just to... Hello, somebody. Thank you for your comment on the Facebook page. Let me mute that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Although Mike from Hamilton texts in, oh, so you're supposed to clean those sheets? Yeah, you're supposed to clean those sheets. Trust me, it's good. Do it. It is. So here's an example of what not to do, courtesy of an Ontario driver, because that example from Inside Edition was ratchet straps, which if you ask my dad, you cannot own enough ratchet straps. Uh, he has like <laughs> hundreds of them, I swear to God. That A driver in Ontario was caught traveling with two mattresses on the roof of a car attached by a fitted bed sheet, if oh, the no. sheet fits. <laughs> if the sheet fits, you still might not want to use it. The OPP tweeted, Please use your head when transporting your bed. OPP Constable Ian Michelle told Global News that it was around 7.15 a.m. on Thursday last week when officers stopped a vehicle at Mayfield Road, just east of the 410. And uh, Michelle said that the driver of the black sedan relied on his friends to secure the mattress by getting the passenger in the front seat to hold one end of the bed sheet and the passenger in the back seat to hold the other end of the bed sheet just to hold it there using a sheet for the two mattresses on top of the roof oh, of the car. My good God. Police told him to get it properly transported, and soon after, a friend with a van showed up. What a novel idea. Yeah. Hmm. Where was that guy? The driver, a 25-year-old man from Brampton, was charged uh, with the offense to insecure load under the Highway tra- uh, Traffic Act, which carries a fine of $160 oh. and no demerit points. Only yeah, 160 bucks. It's not... That's not the takeaway here. He's 25. And as a 25-year-old, this is the most 25-year-old thing, knowing my generation, I've ever heard. This sounds exactly like something my friends would do. 100%. Damn it. Oh, that's great. If you can see the photo, the photo is amazing because there's literally a sheet thrown over the top and they're holding the sheet down. It's crazy. Are you okay? This is worth listening carefully to. Are you okay with news bloopers? We love news bloopers. I love news bloopers. They're great. Favorite. I love it. It's like, I don't know, news is serious. And it's it's great when there's just this little moment of humanity and a mistake or something like that, if they handle it well. Well, we have news people that work with us, right? So I'm cautious to poke fun at all the news people. But news people, when everything is organized and it's happening the way it's supposed to happen, they're the best. They're so composed. But when things go wrong, they don't deal with things going wrong like like we do here on the shift. I mean, it's a dumpster fire most days. 
Mm-hmm. So it's fun to watch. I'm sorry, my TV news friends, because I know that so many of our uh, morning shows across this country, our TV channels and other TV channels, listen to the shift. Okay, you're on the TV. You're on your way to work. I know. I know. You, Shane at it's the shift.ca. Let me know. We love it when you screw up. I'm sorry. We do. It's so it's much so fun much, to watch. So much fun. And maybe that's a radio versus TV thing. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I love your work. You guys do good work. Have a good day at work today. Um, but <laughs> here is one that happened on live TV. This could be um, the one of the best of all time. That's for sure. This could be a contender. Ryan believes for one of the best news yes. bloopers in years. Yes. Fox News host Laura Ingram became a meme overnight as she got very, very confused when she believed a guest was discussing the Netflix television show uh, You, Ryan. No, was the, show is called, the show is called You. The oh, show this. is called You. It is a show about a guy who's a stalker who then becomes a serial killer trying okay. to meet someone. It's very popular. It's like one of Netflix's biggest shows. Thank you for that. I'm going to give you one of these. That's a typo. Quotation for a comma would have been handy. Quotation marks in there. the title too might help. Or something. Yeah, yeah something. Yeah. Something. Okay. She so believes. I, think I guess with the shows. <laughs> we are hip with the shows. Thanks for saving our butts, Ryan. It's very mm-hmm. true. Uh, she believed the guest she had on TV with her was discussing the Netflix television show You. She believed that this guest was referring to her when she said You. So Ryan wanted to warn you. This is about to get very frustrating. The politics and all those woke storylines in so many shows today. You know, I was watching an episode of uh, You where measles came up. Wait, wait, wait. When did I mention measles? I don't know. It was on You. What? 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 What was on me? What are you talking about? Right? What is Ray even hearing what I'm saying? I never had the measles. Was on You. We never did a. We never did a measles and vaccine episode. Am I, is this a joke? I, know. I don't even know it what you're w- talking about. It was on you. It was on you. I've never had, Raymond, I've never had measles. What are you talking about? This is stupid. It was an episode of a show, Laura. Well, what's it called? You. What is you. It's called you. I've never done a show on measles. I, I just completely give up. We got to get out It's a show I, I give up. called you on Netflix. There's a show called Laura Ingham on Netflix. Never mind. About? I'm moving on to Adele. I can't explain this to you. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. I think he baited her a little bit. I don't think she knew. Yeah. He could have easily, like, right away said the Netflix show you, but I think he, he, I think he was enjoying he that a little Netflix bit. Netflix show. He did. Although it's possible he just left out a comma and made it all really confusing. <laughs> That's true. Oh, but God, I love that video so much. There's no show. There's a show called Laura Ingram on Netflix. That's the best part. That's the best part right there. I know. She she hears the word you. It's like, of course they're talking about me. Me. No, Laura. They're not. This is good. (laughs) You is not a show about you. You is a show about serial killers, and it's one of Netflix's biggest shows. Laura must not be on Netflix often. It was confusing, as I myself must admit. I just got confused, too. (sighs) Are you okay? (laughs) Are you okay with cover bands? Oh, no. BCDC, baby. Ooh. BCDC. 
B, C, uh, D, C. I, that's a pretty good one. I, I I don't get a you know cover band at a small time thing. I don't get people who like actively follow or love color cover bands of a band that's still playing and touring. If like still the band doesn't it. exist anymore, that that makes sense. Um, I I like covers though. I love seeing what a band can do when they cover someone else's song. But a whole mm-hmm. band, it's got to be specific circumstance. For me, it's a skill too, right? It's magic. I mean, if you're going to like a Beatles tribute, that's different, right? But I was at a, I was in San Jose, California, listening to an '80s hair cover band uh, in an Irish pub on Cinco de Mayo, where oh. the lead singer with oh. long hair was playing old school hip hop in between Ooh, sets. Wow, wow! See, that's, that's a, why ooh. cover bands get confusing, yeah. right? He was like, <laughs> "Where little... am I? What are we celebrating today?" Yeah. <laughs> so much so, together there. Yeah, it's it can be confusing. Sometimes the bands are good. Uh, someone else wants to take a shot in making their music, right? Le- Les Zeppelin, the Faux Fighters, Slack Sabbath. The list goes on and on and on. Terrible names, man. Uh, all there's real. one band that uh, those are all real, really. Those are Les Zeppelin is a group of all women. Some of them are lesbians doing Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. Foe Fighters are the fake Foo Fighters, and Slack Sabbath is Slack and Black I, Sabbath. Yeah. I uh, really like the Red Hot Chili Pipers. They're a, a yep. band that covers the peppers with all bagpipes. Well, you're oh, going to wow. like this band then. Sweet. Um, there's one band that does a bunch of covers that we do need to talk about. They're called Brass Against. They cover songs from Black Sabbath, Rise Against, Rage Against the Machine, and more. Except they play the music with brass instruments, and it sounds interesting. Here is Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine. Killing in the name of. Some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. Wow. I like that. Yeah. I think that's fun. Show tuny there for a little it's bit. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about uh, War Pigs by Black Sabbath? Politicians hide themselves See, that's cool. The singer, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it, it's it, it's not my first choice, but it's it sounds interesting. Like, it's a well, neat she's, idea. She's ripping on it, right? Oh, God, yeah. Now, why are we talking about these? Because they just pulled off one of the most absurd, gross, and unnecessary stage stunts ever. And it happened while they were playing in our favorite place, Florida. <gasps> what does it mean to be from Florida? Florida. Straight drill. <laughs> I think I need to ask you to read this part, right? <laughs> yep. I saw this. This is okay. Um, okay. The band singer Sophia Urista made a quick bathroom break during their show last week, right on a fan's face during the show. Reports and a video say and show that the male fan who Urista peed on was very consensual to this golden shower it seemed to enjoy himself um way too much this all happened while yurista was singing rage against the machines wake up 
in front of the crowd during the set. Wait, the singer took the leak? Yes. yes. The singer wow. was uh, exclaimed that she really had to go to the bathroom and a guy volunteered to be a part of this and she pulled her pants down and did that on the stage in wow. front of all their fans. Jeez, I thought Florida. I got camera shy. Yeah, from um, a, like on a golf course when you got to go or something or on a pathway, yeah. right? Like you look yeah. camera shy, you're like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> the band apologized via tweet. Quote, so. we had a great time last night at Welcome to Rockville. Sophia got carried away. That's not something the rest of us expected. And it's not something you'll see again at our shows. Thanks for bringing it last night, Daytona. Yeah, I saw that they they actually got banned from playing any um, NASCAR sanction because it was happened at Daytona International Speedway. So they've been banned yeah. for life from NASCAR. Wow, yeah. wow that's hard. Yeah, like of all the um, things to get banned yeah. from, like that's got to <laughs> be tough because it's not like there's going to be somebody who ever decided to urinate at a NASCAR yeah, right before, right? Like. <laughs> That's yeah, not funny, Shane. Stop laughing at that. Oh. Uh, it is one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in my life. You watched it? Yeah. I had to make sure it's real. Oh. And it is very real. Don't watch it. I showed my roommate. I'm pretty sure we woke up our neighbors because we were both screaming so loud. Oh. Um. Anyway, I, needless to say, I don't think I'll be listening to Brass Against anytime soon. Yeah. I'm still somewhat impressed in the ability to do it <laughs> in front of all those people. I I can't get away from that part. That's quite impressive. I, I will. That's gross and terrible. It should not happen, but that is somewhat impressive. I'll give them that. Oh my goodness. Um. By the way, uh, to your point, Brennan Kelly, the list of the Red Hot Chili Piper songs they even do like Baba O'Reilly. Oh, Don't man. stop believing. Nice. Wow. They got lots of good stuff there too. This is the Shift Podcast. One of the catches of everything that's been going on weather-wise, whether it is a hot summer or forest fires or earthquakes and rainstorms and all these things is, if only we had been more ready. We talked about that. I mean, we have to be a little bit reasonable here. There's only so much you can be ready for when the entire mountain slides down into the valley. That being said, though, I keep now... With the help of experts, I, I put blankets in my car. I have old snow pants, you know, the old ugly ones that are torn up and stuff. I just leave a pair in the car. Now, maybe that's me being a nerd, whatever. Maybe that's my dad hat because as I say all that, I start to sound like my dad. Uh, our guest right now is Dr. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan, that sounds very dad of me, doesn't it, when I say those things? It certainly sounds like my dad. That's yeah. For sure. Oh, man. Okay, let's just call it the elephant in the room. Uh, this is Ryan Reynolds, the doctor. This is not um, Ryan Reynolds, uh, the actor, although I will say equally as handsome. And, uh, oh, well, thank you. And, uh, and just to get that one out of the way, because I'm sure you go through that every day. Pretty much. Terrible guy to have the same name of, though. I mean, that's pretty good. Isn't it? You though? know, at least there, there could be many other people that would be worse. So... That's okay, right. so tell us uh, a little bit of what you've got going on here because, um, Ryan, you guys are working on apps and access for people to not only be prepared but to also yourselves 
figure out how you uh, in your group can can create preparedness for people in advance and help people just have it be a part of their lives as opposed to an afterthought. Yeah, and I mean, as we're seeing weather events that are happening across BC and elsewhere in Canada right now, uh, this idea of preparedness, and it's often too late once the event is happening. So we're looking at what we could do in particular for major hazards, but everything down to heat events and blizzards that we can help people to prepare. And we can do it on a way that makes sense for their household and adapts to their unique needs of their own community. So we've partnered with a number of communities right now, all on Vancouver Island, to look at what hazards represent in that community, how we can help residents learn about those, discover whether they live in a risk zone, and then what they can do in their own home to adjust for those pieces. Because while preparedness isn't a silver bullet to being safe in a disaster, what it does is give you that one leg up at the very beginning of that process, which can hopefully help get you through that piece, through the recovery, and then speed up that recovery process down. It's really cool. Now, this is the, the, the pilot project starts on the West Coast. So it is West Coast specific. You know, if you're going to do this kind of thing in Saskatchewan, the tsunami conversation. I mean, at that point, if the tsunami is that big, there's no app in the world that's going to save you. But um, but it is cool to take a little look at things on the West Coast. Obviously, water is going to be one of the big ones, as we've seen over the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, coastal hazards are a big deal in BC and also out on the east as well. Less so in the prairies, obviously. But it is kind of the genesis of the CHIRP app, which we'll be talking about. And that is that this started in Port Alberni, where I know you're yep. from looking at tsunami risk because that was an easy one that had a little bit of lead time that we could prepare people for. And we've since adapted that for things like earthquakes in the lower mainland, uh, flooding pretty much anywhere in Canada, the wildfires that we recently had in BC, Alberta and elsewhere, and just trying to see what we can do to help any particular family, not you know the general family, but specific family types to learn about what they need to do and to prepare for those risks. So CHIRP, C-H-E-R-P, is uh, so everyone knows how to look for it. Um, what are you most excited about in this for, for the biggest impact or where Dr. Reynolds kicks in and goes, yes, this is what we've been trying to do? Which, I mean, because there's lots of different aspects we can talk about. What, um, what gets you most excited here? What I think is most exciting is that we've basically taken the drudgery out of learning what you need to know about preparing. We've taken out that idea that governments have these checklists that you need to go through. It's not that we don't have checklists. It's that we're customizing them to the unique needs of your house. So if you have an accessibility issue, if you have a particular medical condition, whatever that is, we're adapting those plans as best as we can. And through that process, we as researchers are learning a lot more about first, what preparedness is, what it means to different people, how risks are perceived across the board for different hazards and how we communicate that information across. Because it's a big deal in the way that we use language as academics or within practitioner circles but we need to make that clear to everyone. And often that's where the failings happen is that we're trying to be a little bit too clever or we're trying to use big jargon language that doesn't make a lot of sense when what people just want to know is, am I safe? Am I not safe? And what do I need to do today? So that's really what makes me happy. Yeah, that's great. I love that because I find that we've become so dramatic in the way that we name weather these days that it just puts fear into people. And that doesn't help. I mean, that's not going to help somebody be more prepared if they're, frankly, just being a human and quite crippled by the fear of all of it. That's not going to get anywhere. There's one line that's in this one particular UBC article that's on your guys' uh, news post uh, because that's where, where you're from. And um, it says, preparing for emergencies is like insurance. It's your quote. And I found that to be so curious because 
we as society, and this is a much more deeply uh, philosophical conversation than than this particular uh, topic, but we as society have grown into, or maybe a generation, have grown into this somebody will come and save us notion, right? And we just pay more money and someone's going to come. And that is required in situations that we've seen this week with helicopters flying in to get people out of stranded cars. That is the perfect example of why we prepare and why those organizations organizations are so good. That's what they're best at. When it comes to our own lives, though, we sort of apply that same thing. Well, someone will come in a helicopter and save me, but we can just keep paying insurance out or we could be a little bit more prepared and as your quote says, build our own insurance. The impact of that must be, or the opportunity in that must be huge. Yeah, I mean, putting the dad hat back on, it, it seems like an ounce done right now is going to save us a pound in the future, right? And so it's little things that we can do that aren't difficult, they aren't onerous, they aren't expensive, that can actually make a big difference on the day. So they're not like you have to spend a weekend preparing your home or something like that. It's when you have 10 minutes, you go and look up what your emergency plan is for that community what the evacuation plan is. And it's learning about hazards as much as anything. It's things like putting, you know, old snow pants in the, the car so that there's something available when you need it that isn't difficult. It's something you already have. And just finding what all of those little pieces are that fit your particular needs. I think the hazards that we face in Canada tend to be things that we can see coming by and large. Like they they aren't meteors coming from the sky by we see flooding fires, all of those have been happening here for a long time. But it's the fact that we might be getting them all happening at the same time that is the problem for us, particularly right now during COVID, when we have pandemics kind of complicating the issue in here as well. With the exception of the one lady who did have a meteor land in her bed a couple of months ago. Well, okay, fair enough. (laughs) I feel like we should should give that lady credit for having the one strange occurrence that we couldn't predict. Um, Yeah, and we call those black swan events. Those are the things that we know could happen, but they're so, they're unlikely. so unlikely. Uh, hit by lightning, if you will. Um, so I had a home builder, Ryan, who he was a volunteer firefighter and he had, his company had built this whole neighborhood. They bought the land, they built the neighborhood. So if it was all custom homes, but you, uh, they built it. If you bought in their neighborhood, they built it. Now being a volunteer firefighter, he did things that you would imagine would do is he made the residential sprinklers Uh, as part of his build. But here's the magic. This is where I want to put the power back on all of the shift heads that are listening is um, he put up those uh, muster, like he didn't do it like the businesses, but like muster area signs, like meeting place A, meeting place B. And he put them on the lampposts outside. And then he circulated the be prepared, just so you know, we've put up these emergency meeting place signs in your neighborhood. If anything ever goes wrong, your family is to meet at A, then B, or whatever, right? And um, and that's all the kids had to remember was, you know, B, then C. If, if nobody's at B, go to C kind of thing, right? And... Well, isn't that simple? Like, that's exactly what it should that's be. that's all it needs to be, right? Is it that simple when you talk about these apps and, and the kinds of things with Chirp that, that the emergency response can do? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it's just things like being aware of what you might need on the day because we don't tend to think about emergency stuff day to day. We don't tend to think about, oh, I need to have some way of keeping insulin cool, for example. But when we know that you need insulin, we just add that to your plan. We part that into your preparedness piece so you have the materials ready to go. And then on the day, if you happen to need it, then you put that plan in place and we make sure you grab that stuff and head on out the door because those go bags that you've already prepared in advance, 
they're going to help make that difference down there. Oh. Particularly if you have children. Yeah, right. Well, if you were going on a vacation, you wouldn't leave with a little extra formula or diapers or whatever. Um, why not have that stuff lying around? Um, that's so interesting. And we we take an awful lot for granted, don't we? we? We're sort of complacent in such a big way. Does that drive you crazy in your study here, Ryan? Well, I mean, I'm just guilty as anyone on that piece. I, this is part of the reason why it's done. But just, I mean, the idea of having to spend hundreds of hours for everyone to go through and process what that would mean to prepare their home versus me doing that one time and then kind of gifting them that little piece of, here, we've done the work, here's what you need to do. And if a particular item maybe on your list doesn't apply, it ignore and we don't worry about it anymore. That's great. What's the one thing that you would take with you um, that you think has the biggest impact in your life? Of course, if that's too personal, that's fine, but... No, I mean, the biggest thing, if you could bring one and only one thing is going to be water because it's going to be hard to find drinkable water wherever you're going and it's going to be in such demand. So just a very simple thing. Yeah. And the other pieces are like the documents for your mortgage or your marriage certificates and copies of those so that you have that information because it's amazing when you're going to need those. Suddenly you don't have them, how difficult it is to get them. I always think about those people who lose their passport or their driver's license and they're out of the country or your wallet gets stolen. Like, how do you even prove who you are at that point? So imagine when exactly. like Lytton with the fires this summer, those people that just had to leave now, um, you know, how, how do they even rebuild? You can't even go to the bank and prove who you are. Yeah. And if you have a backup, you know, stored in the cloud and on a memory stick with you, wherever you go, at least you know that you can access that. Now it's probably better to protect that with a password or something like that. But as long as you have that information set and ready to go, you're golden down. Can we do we have to call it a go bag? Can we call it a getaway bag? And then it just feels more rebellious, like we're robbing a bank. Sure, right? why not? It's the getaway bag. I don't know. It just feels more like exciting Hollywood. I love that. So okay, so chirp is an oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the thought there. Go ahead. No, okay, no, uh, chirp is it's in progress now, not officially launched yet. What to, what does it take for us to get it, and how do we expand it across the whole country? By the way, can you have that done by January? That's I sound like a exactly. I sound like a boss, right? Like, <laughs> by the way, make it all happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get the emails of why isn't it available in my community today? Uh, the the problem is really that our our research team is really small. It's two people initially, myself and my research assistant. And what we're doing is we're working directly with our community partners. So there's a direct give and take piece there. We're learning from their experiences. We're bringing our kind of breadth of knowledge to this piece, but it does take time to kind of build that trust and to get all of the information that we need. So because we partner directly with communities, it has to be a small number initially. So we're doing five communities on Vancouver Island, everything from the village of Tassas, which is about 200 people in the winter, to the city of Nanaimo, so 107,000 plus people uh, year round. And what we're trying to do is to basically put into the hands of residents Everything that local emergency managers, our research team, academics from around the world have looked at past disasters and tried to figure out what it is you're going to need to be prepared in advance to kind of reduce those impacts or in some cases eliminate those impacts, or if it can't be reduced, to keep you safe in that process. So kind of life safety idea. And there's nothing out there that's really difficult for us except that it takes time. And so we will be launching in five communities, hopefully in the next coming weeks. Um, and then additional communities coming online in 2022 and 2023. What that really comes down to is funding the research students that do the work to kind of collect that information and also to help us build the tools. Because right now I built the iOS version of this. It's taken me almost two years. I'm not wanting to do that for the Android version or the web version right. as well. So we need to pay people to do that. 
So that's really where we're at right now. Yeah, and let the experts be the experts, right? I mean, that is always the key to the success. Do you hear it being uh, like a community ambassador? I use the volunteer firefighter as a great example of that. Is there a community ambassador that's there? So I live in Airdrie just outside Calgary. You know, you can do all of Airdrie with one ambassador. In Calgary, for example, you might want someone for uh, regions where people live uh, in the River Valley versus up, you know, uh, the foothills on the west side or whatever. Is that kind of how you look at this? Like, let's get a, a community ambassador to be able to take it on? and Or is it an organization thing? How do you get that happening? Well, I think traditionally we've always had that person on the block who's kind of looking out for everyone, the kind of block watch guy that's always out there. And he, he's always out there helping, you know, if you need trouble or giving advice or whatever. We want Chirp to be that guy for you who's out there looking out for you, who's taking in new information and processing that to see whatever you and letting you know when it's your time to do something. So if we gain new information, we let you know that your plan is updated based on the information. So for example, the community evacuation changes because a road is out. You need to know that. They've let us know that. We put that into the app. It's now in your plan automatically. You didn't have to do anything for that. So just these, these little ideas of removing friction, making it as easy as possible and as adaptive as possible for our communities. Ultimately, we want to make it so that the communities themselves are the one entering this information. In the short term, obviously, we have to be a go-between. But there's a lot of opportunity here. And a lot of the feedback we get from our users is going to determine where we go next mm-hmm. on this piece. Well, in, in times like crisis, like we've had this week in BC, which those photos are heartbreaking, right? You look at some of those communities and houses, and then you get into the infrastructure things, like where the Coquihalla is just not anymore. Um would it be uh, like a live update? Like I know that the, all the provinces have their emergency alert type systems. Would you piggyback that or or would you let that be that and then update from there? How do you deal with that part? For the time being, we're allowing them to be the experts on that. They've already got the apps. They're already doing well. Uh, and we don't need to confuse that situation anymore. But there's definitely opportunities to interact in that piece. So we might be able to feed on the app um, alerts that they're providing into our app and to then reshare that information if that's appropriate. And it's also, uh, there's also potential for us to start sharing information back to communities so that we know that there are people with certain disabilities in a particular region that they need to be aware of, those sorts of mm-hmm. things. And how great would that be with the old folks? Even if, even if you went not a moment further than all of the long-term care homes and the old folks, just for them. Uh, whether that's fire, pandemic, I mean, pandemic's clearly got to be part of this now that we've learned, um, but fire, <laughs> yes. pandemic, uh, water, all of those things, uh, even long-term power outages, just for the old folks, you can see the value. Yeah. And I mean, we're learning as we go, the pandemic has been a great learning experience, despite the horribleness that it has been, because it's letting us see how uh, societies react, how individual groups uh, act during these situations. And using that to feed in the information that we need to figure out how to event, uh, prevent those problems going forward for different things. Now, it's not the golden goose by any means, but it definitely gives us an idea how you might respond following a major disaster like an earthquake, a flood, tsunami, whatever that is in your particular community. Yeah, it would be great if not, if not everybody went to Facebook to get the info. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is my opinion. I'll throw that out there. Dr. Ryan Reynolds is a postdoctoral researcher in the Faculty of Applied Sciences uh, at UBC and um, School of Community and Regional Planning. So it's, it's a big topic and a small team doing really, really great work. And Ryan, I just really wanted to acknowledge that, you know, the potential of where this goes, it takes time. 
But it's ideas like this that really do kick the ball down the hill of reinventing how this works. And I think it's really cool, man. I appreciate your hard work. Well, look for us across the country in the years to come. Chirp, C-H-E-R-P, if you want to check it out. Thanks for sharing the time, Ryan. Thanks. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time to check in with the world of weird things and Greg Fish. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Well, Fishy, how's life in California these days? Interesting. So (laughs) um, I actually want to talk about hockey for about 30 seconds. I'm sure that's going to be okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so that is a terrible stereotype. It's accurate and it, I'm okay with it. Absolutely. But still, come on. That's, that's fine. I'm a hockey fan and this, this, this affects the show. This affects me. And I think this is a, this is a, a very important announcement that we need to start off with. So okay. the Staples Center, the home oh. of the Los Angeles Kings mm-hmm. is being renamed yep. to the crypto.com arena. Mm-hmm. It feels, wrong it does yet feel somehow, wrong yet somehow very appropriate especially today when i'm you know getting ready to talk about crypto and yeah. cryptocurrencies and the future of money it's gonna be weird to hear you know oh the lakers are playing at the crypto.com arena exactly, right? exactly. i mean staples center that's where michael jackson's funeral was like it's all of those big events that have happened in life and now it's just not the same place. No. No, hmm. and it's just the it's name crazy. change. But crypto's We're, everywhere. So we got to talk everywhere. about it. Worldofweirdthings.com it's a podcast, it's a blog, it's got all kinds of amazing pictures on it too. We're a big fan of your pictures by the way. We often talk about your pictures here in our meetings. We're like that's a great picture. If nothing else, Go look at the pretty pictures if you don't like the articles. Uh, that is where Greg Fish does his meanderings of his mind. So here we are, cryptocurrency, something that we've talked about here on The Shift in an effort to try to bring in the basics of how they work. And what we've learned is most cryptocurrencies work fundamentally the same, distinctively different all at once, whether they're owned by a company or whether they're owned by nobody and all those things. So where are we going here in this confusing world of cryptocurrencies, money that does not exist, but very much exists. So we're going to define what that means, money that exists, but very much doesn't. So whenever we talk about money, we picture, you know, bills, like bills that we can physically hand to a cashier and they'll take it as legal tender and give us change and say, thank you very much. Here's the thing that you wanted to buy. Cryptocurrencies don't really work like that because yes they have a value that can be translated to any currency that you want you need to find somebody in the middle to actually give you that money so really what it what it is if you're trying to pay with cryptocurrencies right now uh, it's kind of like the equivalent of saying okay so i think my home is worth five hundred thousand dollars i will give you one hundredth of one percent stake in my home for my groceries So chances are you're probably going to go home empty-handed. You're going to have a Mm -hmm. small group of people that are going to say, you know what, I'm willing to take that because I don't actually know what your house is worth. We need to assess it. We need to actually sell it. We need to 
um, you know, get the money in there or we need somebody to underwrite this. It's a very, it's a much more complicated process all of a sudden. So as a result, what's happening to cryptocurrencies is they're essentially, they're tokens. They're a version of stock. And you trade it the way that you would trade the stock of a company and you measure it not by velocity as currencies are measured as in how much money is in circulation, how much is being spent, how much is being bought. You are measuring it in market capitalization as in how many people have plowed how much money into it and how much they think that it is worth by buying tokens at a particular price. So that's how cryptocurrency has value. Enough investors have put up enough money to say, okay, I think Bitcoin is worth $60,000 and Ethereum is worth $10,000 or thereabouts. Uh, they, they change all the time. And that's actually the other issue in spending them because they fluctuate so much. It is very difficult to actually spend them because you may actually be drastically overpaying for something or you are underpaying for something and the vendor who is actually doing the transaction is getting a bad deal. There's a famous yeah. story from the beginning of, of Bitcoin where someone actually made the first Bitcoin transaction. They paid 10,000 Bitcoins for two pizzas. Back then it was worth $40, the 10,000 Bitcoins. Now, you know, at $60,000 per Bitcoin, that is, that is, that is a, not even a fortune. It's multiple fortunes for Better two be good pizzas. Pizza. The, the pictures did not, not look I'm just running like that number, pizza. by the way. One, that's $600 million. Yes, that is, that is more money than you could probably spend in your lifetime unless you are like building your own space program like Elon Musk or Jeff can Bezos. You, can you imagine if you paid $600 million on your pizza and it like came with pineapple on it? <laughs> that is a dark, dark, dark thought. Although actually funny enough, my wife has managed to make pineapple work on pizza because she made pizza using a classic Mexican recipe that involved a little bit of pineapple and it actually mm. worked. So that is the only way I will endorse it. I do like, I do like ham and pineapple on pizza. I don't love it. It's not my favorite. And I am the biggest pineapple fan you'll find on this planet. And even I go, it's workable, not the best. Okay, so one of the things that uh, is hard to follow here is the number of cryptocurrencies out there. Bitcoin is kind of like the Kleenex of tissues, the Q-tips of cotton swabs. Uh, Bitcoin often gets misunderstood when you talk about Dogecoin, all different kinds of different um, the coins that are out there, and that's where it gets confusing. There's more than 13,000 different types of crypto coins, according to worldofweirdthings.com. And when you say $60,000 for a Bitcoin, people need to understand there are segments below that that you can buy for. Imagine this, that the Bitcoin is a $100 bill, and you can still get dimes and nickels below that. They're called Satoshi's. And Satoshi Nakamoto, who is really the guy who created the blockchain protocol for this, so he gets to be the the dollar or the penny. So you can get um, you can get Satoshi. You can afford Satoshi's. You you think I can't afford Bitcoin? I don't have sixty thousand dollars. You can afford to get into Bitcoin because you can buy by Satoshi's the coins, if you will, the change. 
Yeah, it's subdividable to six decimal places. Um, so yeah, you can absolutely afford them. So that said, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, there's Ethereum, there's Bitcoin, and then there's really everybody else. Um, Dogecoin is, was a joke coin. And that kind of just took on a life of its own. It's not really accepted outside of that. But again, like I said, Bitcoin, Ethereum, everybody else. And that everybody else, you know, just to give you just to give you an idea of, of how much 13,000 different currencies are, um, there's an estimated 7,100 languages spoken on Earth. And uh, out of all official currencies that are recognized today, uh, there's only only 180 by comparison. So that is that is a lot of coins. That is a lot of um, and a lot of them are just junk. Honestly, there's a lot of uh, you deal with the, the further out away from, you know, the big mainstream coins you go, the higher chances you uh, the higher chances of encountering scams and Ponzi schemes and pump and dump schemes and all sorts of absolutely wildly unregulated stuff. So if you think that you can, you know, plow your money into some unknown coin and it's going to become the next Ethereum chances are no ethereum is going to become the next ethereum like it, it's that that marketplace has already more or less sorted itself out um so when it comes to the question of should i buy cryptocurrencies the answer right now is don't buy more than you what you what you can afford to comfortably lose if you want a safer investment stick to the big guys um but really rem- recognize that it's an investment and you're hoping that at some point down the line you can actually use it as money um and that's really the the thing that kind of makes me wonder because you know i'm a tech guy and i want to know is any can cryptocurrencies actually become currencies like what would actually need to happen in order for that to work so um one of the parts so one of the things i i really wanted to look into is okay we have blockchains uh, we have the whole idea that we don't have to necessarily trust each other to make a transaction. Where, what can we do with it? And the answer is we can actually do a lot with it. We can use the current technology to simplify today's banking processes because um, if you try to make an international transaction today, you have to get a whole network and system of banks involved to verify that transaction. And that can take days Sometimes it might even take up to a week, depending on the amount and where it's going and what jurisdictions it has to cross. With with a blockchain, you don't have to do that. You kind of assume that there's not really any trust there. You use cryptographic verification to say, I trust this. Okay, this is a legitimate transaction. I trust this transaction. Let's go ahead and get it done. And it can work pretty much instantly. The other nice thing about blockchains is that they're essentially a public ledger of all the transactions of a cryptocurrency. So if you are doing something very shady, the blockchain knows. So if we're worried about money laundering and tax dodging and people moving, trying to do some very shady things with money, we can actually use the blockchain to detect it and either reverse it or stop it or freeze it and actually deal with it immediately because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of banks have a history of just looking the other way when there's some very strange transactions or saying, well, it looks strange, and we notified the regulators. We're going to let it through, and we're going to let the regulators figure it out in three, five, seven years. 
So they can often, you often sort of hear, well, we faxed you and let you know, right? And it got stuck in the back of a bottom of a fax pile because that was the old protocol. Blockchain allows for that ledger, that list of items like your checkbook to be in more than one place. So you can't just hide it because it's duplicated and backed up everywhere. Now, some of these, some of these cryptocurrencies fish are, they're private. Facebook said they wanted to do their own cryptocurrency and that they would handle basically their own blockchain for it. That, as I've been told, and I think I've adopted, becomes very, very scary to think when a corporation controls market flow money, whereas Bitcoin, as an example, is not owned by anyone. It was created to not be owned by anyone. Yeah, you you can't have a private entity controlling money because then you're back to you know company fund bucks and uh, selling your soul selling your soul to the company store. Um, we don't we don't necessarily want that. But here's the thing: if you're going to start using Bitcoin or or Ethereum as a international currency, those blockchains are going to get really large. So different copies of the blockchains are called nodes. The note, and because the notes store in transaction, the average transaction is about 640 bytes, which is not very much. But when you have, you know, consider that we actually make billions, hundreds of billions transaction, of transactions every year using standard money. Um, and all of these events have to be written. All of these events have to be cryptographically signed. All of these events have to be somehow tracked. So what we what we need to do is we need to have very large organizations that have the capacity to host these gigantic nodes. And what ends up happening is that when you start looking at what those organizations are, they're going to be banks, which well, respond be, to yeah, government. The, yeah, they're going to be the next version of a bank, right? Which is what everyone yep. tried to avoid in the first place. Yeah, you, that turns out you actually need a bank to handle money. It's almost like we've we've learned this over thousands of years of of you know making currencies. So you have you're going to end up with banks hosting these nodes, working with central banks to figure out how the regulation is going to happen, how the taxation is going to happen. The volatility that we see in the crypto market is going to have to be more or less squashed. So the so the inflation and deflation of the currency, the the the, uh, the volatility currency is going to be very similar to what you see with a standard currency to give people confidence that they're actually going to be able to spend about what it's worth. And um, from that point on, it becomes a lot easier to sell someone on accepting Bitcoin or accepting Ethereum or accepting cryptocurrency or even saying, you know what, let's move the dollar into a blockchain. Let's move the pound into a blockchain. Let's move the franc into a blockchain and so on and so forth. So the technology can actually make our lives a lot easier um, and it can streamline a lot of things that modern finance struggles with either by choice or because of the limitations of the technology that we have. Um, and you adopting it will actually be would actually be pretty good for us is just an issue of having to make those compromises that we we we're going to tame this wild west of of money we're going to we're going to domesticate it and i know that you know a lot of crypto traders listening to me say that probably think probably is going to are going to react the same way that if i just insulted their mothers but unfortunately you know if you want money to work and right now they 
they kind of don't outside of the outside of enthusiasts. There's a lot of trends that are very complicated and confusing. There are a lot of scams that people don't want to. You want people to actually really buy into the system of digital money. You're gonna have to put in some safeguards to actually get people to use it. That's just the long and short of it. It's um, it's interesting to look at. So, Greg, how do we take this? Because it's a really confusing conversation. I know that right now there are going to be a few people that are going, okay, my eyes are crossed, my brain hurts, because it doesn't make much sense. How do we translate that into if it becomes regulated to the point that it's safe, if it's okay for us to get to that point? How do we get into it and use it and be able to have access to it when it seems to be so difficult and so much work? Because... If I break it down, it's almost become sort of the new mutual fund. And if you go look at a mutual fund, you go buy a mutual fund, a grouping of stocks or whatever, and then you got to transfer your money and that takes days and then the money's got to arrive. There are two different kinds of companies that manage those. There's some that they buy cryptocurrency on your behalf, but they keep it. So if they ever go bankrupt, you lose your money. And there's other companies that buy cryptocurrency and just help you manage it. You keep it and you have to go through them to get your money out. It's not going to be easy to get access to the dollars if you actually want to use it to buy your two pizzas. Well, exactly. That's kind of the problem with it right now. You have all these intermediaries you have to go through. If we can, if we can appropriately regulate it and have essentially banks and financial institutions holding um, and, and hosting these these blockchain nodes, then it just becomes an option at the ATM. I want this in Bitcoin. I want this in Ethereum. I want this in whatever other cryptocurrency you could have. You don't. You're not going to have to go through these intermediaries anymore because now you don't have to change it to the local currency. You can just spend it as the coin, and that's really the big. And that's really the big deal. We want to. The whole point was it's not necessarily owned by anyone in particular, and it simplifies transactions because you don't have a chain of, of, of middlemen trying to explain and verify everything. All of that is verified by cryptographic signatures. So not taking advantage of that would be kind of silly, to put it mildly. Yeah. So that's kind of the future we want to get to. This is just you go to the ATM. Uh, or even on your phone, on your banking app, you can say, okay, I just want this in Bitcoin and I want to pay for this transaction with Bitcoin. And it will handle all of the conversions, everything else. You won't have to think about it. That's again, that's kind of the future that we want to get to. Um, so the, that's really though the big difference. On the one hand, what we have today is these are speculative tokens that you can buy that are worth something because hopefully enough people believe that it's worth something into a future where yes, we know that it costs something that it, that it's worth something central banks said. So the planet has adopted all of these blockchain nodes. You can now move freely and do all the transactions that you want without having to worry very much about what's going to happen when you press that pay button. Let's hope the fees like it is to get a different currency and, and change currency aren't as expensive as they are today. That would be nice. And let's hope that you can well, go to a little kiosk in the lower. airport and get all the Bitcoin that you need to get before you go on your trip. Yep, that's exactly where we want to get to with it.
it's amazing. We'll see what happens and what comes next. The conversation, clearly, while it's becoming worth more and more, the fledgling nature of it is confusing. You're not alone in that. Thank you, Greg Fish, for helping us try to create some insight on it. Appreciate it, bud. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.